You're listening to Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block podcast. Um, it's your host, Soju Operator. I haven't been on in a while, but um, I am here now. And I'm joined with the two very special guests of mine. Um, you may know them um, by the name of Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club. Uh, they've been making headlines recently with their great uh, underground actions and uh, uh, community outreach efforts. And very happy to have them on. I have uh, my good friend uh, Bubble. Say, introduce, introduce yourself, Bubble. Hi, thanks for inviting us on here. Uh, my name is Bubble, pronouns any all. All right. And uh, Satan, you go by Satan, correct? I do go by Satan, uh, pronouns she, her. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you both on here. Um, this has been a long time coming, really. It's just one of those things stuff keeps on popping up getting in the way etc etc but yeah awesome to have you guys on here i think it's been a while since we had like a like a like a big like uh organization like stateside being able to talk about like what they've been doing recently i think our last episode was was about ukrainian uh anti-fascist militias which was a lot of fun too but it's cool to bring it back you know closer uh to home um so yeah real right quick i think people um, if you're a leftist and you've been a gun owner at some period of time, you probably know of, or heard of John Brown Gun Club. But what is John Brown Gun Club? What is the point of the organization? What's the mission? That sort of thing. Um, do you want to take that one, Satan? I think you know the history a little bit better. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a John Brown Gun Club in a more broad sense is a group of leftists who both trained together in firearms as well as um, participate in community outreach via mutual aid projects. Um, for us specifically, that means things like our Red Breads, which are where we set up free stores for the local homeless camps. Um, you know, we help protect camp suites as well as um, probably most infamously, you know, our uh, queer defense that we do outside of drag events um, more recently. Yeah, just to add to that, I think a lot of people get confused with the backstory with Redneck Revolt and John Brown Gun Club. Um, a lot of stuff happened. I think most of us were not around for that. Uh, basically, every John Brown Gun Club is autonomous. We all believe in community defense and mutual aid. Um, and yeah, you know, there's there's 
some diversity of thought, but we also share a lot of the same goals and ideas and, um, you know, help each other out. So it's uh, autonomous groups kind of just under the, the same name. Right on. And that's about what I what I thought as well. Um, for your local org, so your Elm Fork, so you guys are Dallas-Fort Worth located, right? Correct. Awesome. Yeah. And so for your local branch or um, organization, how, what came about to forming this one? I'm not sure if how that worked or what time each person came on board or if you're, if you're at liberty to talk about that, but we can talk about it a little bit um, in a little bit of a vague sense. It really just started with just really like a couple of us um, wanting to help out in the community post COVID lockdown and you know, coming out of the George Floyd uprisings and just wanting to do something besides march in the streets without accomplishing anything. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of facilitated us meeting other organizers, which then led them to joining us or us just working alongside other local organizations. The biggest push for us was really the winter storm of 2021. Um, that's when the first time we really ever got any acknowledgement on Twitter or anything like that. And we were able to collect so many donations and help so many people because that was really devastating in Texas. Um, And from there, it just kind of, you know, over time we've grown and learned and adapted and it's been a really awesome experience. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely in the, in recent, recent months, you, you guys have definitely been making headlines pretty much everywhere. I mean, I could, everywhere I looked, it seemed like I, there were people were talking about y'all and in, in the best possible way, like good, only the good stuff. We, we'll get into the, into that a little bit later. Speaking of, I guess, actions and such, right. We, delving more into that. You, you spoke about like, you know, doing more than just showing up at a protest or, you know, you know, kind of doing like a big uh, symbol, symbolic march or whatever. So uh, Elm Fort John Brown Gun Club has a hand in like just, you know, direct community outreach efforts, doing things like food drives, doing security and such, working with local popu- uh, local you know residents and other orgs are there, you know, in the area. I guess what goes into building that? Because you spoke about how it, would, it took kind of the winter storm of 2021 to really show people like what you guys are about and people are start are taking notice because you, you put out that effort to, you know, help out the community and such, I guess, what did it take to build that? Uh, how, how did you guys go about, you know, building the trust of other organizations or other people locally and building a name for yourself, so to speak, and be able to hey, hit up another organization, show up, Hey, we're going to help you guys out. And, and that, that, you know, they would be okay with that. Um, I mean, honestly, a lot of that just takes, time and patience and it's an ongoing effort um to sustain those sorts of relationships and connections um you know just doing the work over time is how you get people to trust you and how you can get local communities to you know accept you because what we do is considered radical and even a lot of liberal spaces um bubble can probably talk on that a little bit as well but the biggest thing for me is just showing up and not just showing up once, but showing up continuously, you know, show up for the same people over and over again when they're in a time of need and they'll tell their friends, Hey, Elm Fork, they got your back. 
if you need something, they got your back. Yeah, you definitely have to have a consistency. Um, you can't expect people to rely on you if you just reach out once and say like, hey, we're here for you. You know, they have to see you around, have to see you helping, um, you know, doing all kinds of different events and, um, you know, meeting in person. Um, I think after 2020, a lot of us were ready to do something different. You know, we were pretty, pretty jaded about how things went. We were pretty sick of getting gassed and, um, you know, marching around all night without really achieving anything. So a lot of people went into mutual aid. A lot of people uh, started getting into armed community defense. And it's it's been pretty cool. You know, even the liberals have been coming around uh, since 2020. Uh, we saw it, you know, in a big way last year. We see it even more so this year. Um, it's like, you know, we're sick of these threats and the violence from fascists. We're sick of cop riots and tear gas. And, uh, you know, we're going to do something different now. So that's a good point to bring up was, I guess, what are the main concerns, issues surrounding DFW that in your experiences as, you know, as an organization you faced or are needing more attention towards? So there are so many different fascist groups in the DFW area. Um, there's Aryan Freedom Network. There's White Lives Matter. There's Patriot Front is uh, uh, based out here. There's Proud Boys out here. Um, there's Groypers. There are Catholic fascists. Um there's so many of these different groups and they often kind of fly under the radar. The media doesn't like to give them too much attention, which I think has positives and negatives. Um, but one negative is that as um, queer events have been increasingly targeted, a lot of the time these organizers are unprepared for uh, you know, what's going to happen when the Proud Boys show up to your family pride event. They're going to harass people. Um, they may do violence. They're going to stalk people, um, follow them to their cars. They're going to uh, be you know, shouting slurs and hate speech and violent threats. And that has been an increasing problem in 2022 in particular. Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, I think that's one of the one of the I mentioned before, but the headlines y'all made that was like one of the major ones. It was the um, I believe it was a book club meeting event or something and you had a couple of um uh christian fascists trying to literally like break in and I, I believe it was just literally you you guys holding the line keeping them back if i if i'm correct on that so i think that was probably mr mister um that was i believe the first drag brunch uh defense we did it was during pride month it was uh you know daytime family pride event along with like all the Dallas pride uh, festivities. And yeah, these, these multiple groups of Christian fascists uh, organized together by Kelly Nieder, they showed up in force. There's about 50 of them. Um, and they tried to physically push their way into um, the bar, uh, particularly Alex Stein, who is a independent, you know, comedian attention seeking type around here. Uh, he often tags along with the fascists and live streams himself 
you know, doing oh like like Bake Alaska, like the fucking like loser white dude that just goes around like streaming himself, harassing people and trying to like incite shit. Yeah, basically the same type, yeah. but exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that shit is uh, you know ridiculous. I, I've seen. I mean, th- there there are countless kinds of t- those kinds of people out there. I mean, really, you know, credit to y'all for you know literally holding the line and keeping those people back. I think um, I, I agree with what you said. I think the what the media decides to cover as double-edged sword, like not giving these fascists the attention like that they're craving is good in some ways, but also when they're out here flagrantly attacking marginalized people, then we're also kind of not bringing the point across that these people are fucking, you know, in unhinged, violent, you know, evil fuckers out there. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the media, it's like, it's interesting. The point you made earlier about how they are portraying you uh, as of recently. I think you said, I mean, you guys definitely get some pushback from like the liberals or like local, uh, you know, (laughs) institutions and such, but how has that been as of late? Like the way they've been talking about uh, your org. I think it's been, you know, in general, pretty positive, most like mostly lately. Like it, it's really wild when you're in Black Block and a woman in a Beto T-shirt walks up to you and is like, "Can I take a picture with you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, like almost it, it's you know they see us and even though they can't see our face, they smile at us and thank us when wherever they're at an action that we're at. Um, it's you know. Even a year ago, we would have been seen as terrifying. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of that also has to do is do with is, you know, things have gotten increasingly worse, specifically in DFW. It's hard to remain a passive liberal at this point, um, especially if you do enjoy taking your family to drag shows, even if you don't. If none of you or your family are queer, you just enjoy it. You enjoy support supporting it. Like, you know, it's hard to just sit back when there's a proud boy outside yelling at you. Yeah, hundred percent. I I agree with your point. It if we go back to what uh, beginning of pandemic lockdown and George Floyd protests, uh, you had everyone from obviously you know fascist Trumpers to uh, liberal media, CNN types to your average run of the mill, like neolib, like Hollywood actor talking about Antifa in passing as if they're just like, Oh, this is, this is so bad. They're, they're the radical types that we don't want to be associated with. And then like now they see people. And I, like you said on, uh, wearing black block and doing those kind of, uh, protests or security. And they're like, Oh, well, I'd rather be with them than the fucking proud boys trying to fucking, you know, start shit and kill people. So um, I think the narrative changes because, you know, the action speaks for for itself. I think that the funnier point, uh, I don't know if I told you y'all about this one before, but like there's like this, uh, I mentioned it before briefly in a separate inner uh, podcast. I think we did with uh, a, a better way to a, but there's like this um, semi prolific, like, instagram gun memer who's like a uh, chinese american like libertarian douchebag and he he makes a post that doesn't even realize he's shitting on himself is that like i'm trying to go out and like volunteer but why are all these organizations leftists it's like i wonder fucking why you know it's like do you, do you think that there's like connotation or connection between like 
being being having a political ideology that supports other people and on the versus the one that's about like being selfish and shitting on them like I, I don't get it you know but actions speak louder than words at the end of the day yeah yeah i mean and that goes back to what we were saying before you know you keep showing up you keep helping and then you know it might take a year but the community then trusts you you know, when they see you walk up, they know that they are going to feel a little bit safer participating in what action or event they're participating in. I, I think on a small, smaller scale, this is like long time ago. This is like when I was uh, I was at some rally about that was like, you know, it was an anti-Trump protest. But it was literally when he was out and about like supporting various political candidates to who are rerunning for office for Senate. And I came late and my buddy, who's like, you know, anti-fascist leftist, uh, he the police had cornered off our that protest group. So but uh, of people who were anti-Trump. But if you left that that group, they wouldn't let you back in like the fucking cops and horses would not let you back in there. So my friend left that group to meet up with me, but we were stranded. It was just two of us. And like everywhere else around us were like just Trumpers. Like we had a couple approach us or whatever, but then we found other stranglers of people who, you know, they're not necessarily leftists. They're, they're just like Beto, uh, Hillary Clinton, or, you know, that kind of type of supporters out there or, you know, wearing Obama shirts, or whatever, but they're just, you know, Democrats, neolibs, but you know, they're, they're from the same spirit, you know, fuck Trump. And they're also outside the protest circle and realized that, you know, they saw our signs and they're just like, Oh shit. Like, you guys aren't one of them. All right. And our and my, my buddy's sign was just straight up like, fuck the rich, you know, <laughs> but they, they were like, Oh, like, you know, this, this, these are people who like, who aren't like the rest of these muckers out here. And they're, you know, they actually have values. They actually have morals of some kind. And I think I recall that day it was strange. It was like me and a couple of Dems. And, uh, one of them, I think one of them finally had an epiphany that night. Cause he was like, yo, I just saw a bunch of cops working here with like neo-Nazi tattoos. I'm like, yeah, that's a, it's not uncommon. <laughs> welcome. Welcome <laughs> to the real world. Like, yeah, but that's funny. You can be as like, whatever, like centrist lib as you want. I think, but I think like y'all said, push comes to shove. It's like, where are you really going to stand? You're not, you're not going to just stand there and do nothing. And you're certainly not going to, uh, just let the fast do whatever. I think uh, deep down inside, they realize that they have to do something. They have to side, you know, with actual leftists. I think they're just, I think a lot of them are just kind of scared, you know, and understandably so. Well, and there's ways to side with the movement without, you know, investing in black block and showing up with your AR 15, you know, you can contribute to mutual aid. You can start a free like a free fridge in your neighborhood, a free library. You can, you know, pass out meals to your local homeless camps. Like there's other ways you can donate to organizations. If you can't feasibly do any of that, you can, you know, every local leftist organization has an Amazon wish list and a cash app. You know, you can contribute in those ways as well. I, I think that's a very important thing to, to, to talk about is that doing these kind of actions is more than just, uh, you know, making a, a cool in, a Twitter, you know, photo, whatever, right? It's it's about uh, helping people in any way that you're able to. So I, I you know, the orgs that I w- I was in in the past were very much about that. It's like, cool, can you be a driver for for people who need to get abortions? I'm like, okay, cool, like that's actually super valuable, and you don't need to go and, you know, again, like you said, like get kitted up and, you know, go, go black block, not suit, not like the most necessary thing. It's about the context and your capabilities, right? Exactly. 100%.
You know, speaking of that, though, I, and I think a lot of our, our viewers would enjoy um, take a lot of value learning from your experiences doing uh, black block, doing security, doing uh, on the ground action, and having to you know defend events and people from fascists. Like, how does one safely navigate? the sort of armed security or armed protest and how does one sort of handle interacting with law enforcement or if, when things do kind of get uh, unsettled or, you know, conflictive. And there's a lot that goes into that, you know, protecting your identity, having good block, making sure that you're not standing out and, and being identifiable, um, thinking about, you know, parking where you're going to get blocked up, um, you know, trying to stay out of sight Working with the community, you know, you don't want to just show up armed and nobody knows who you are. Um, that's very bad for a number of reasons. Um, you need to talk to organizers. You need to talk to, um, you know, the event. If it's someone else's event, uh, you need to make sure that the people who are there on the ground are like prepared for you to show up. Like even if the organizers know, you need to give them a heads up like, hey, we're about to arrive. Let, you know, let the crowd know. Uh, you have to have your your safety rules and your you know operating procedure all figured out. You have to be muzzled down. You know, other armed activists have flagged buildings, flagged cops. You know, they've gotten charges for that kind of stuff. You you got to be really careful with your safety. You have to be in a big group. So cops will absolutely fuck with you if you are one guy with a rifle. But if you are ten guys with a rifle. In our experience, at least, the cops will stay away from you. And they don't want to get close to that, like, at all, usually. Yeah, you know, it's it's scary to them. They don't know what's, you know, they don't know what's going on. Clearly, we're going to take care of each other, or we're capable of taking care of each other in that kind of numbers. When law enforcement does try to talk to us, uh, we pretty much have a blanket, just no comment policy. Um, you know, nothing you say is going to help the situation. You can say, oh, we're so peaceful, you know, oh, we were invited. The cops don't care. They're looking for reasons to arrest you. They're looking for reasons to escalate. Um, so that's why we have a strict kind of no talking to the police policy. And uh, it's worked out quite well. I think I credit that for a lot of our success. Um but yeah, I mean, if if people have more in-depth questions, I think they should reach out to us by email. That's kind of the overview. But there's a lot of like little details that that you got to get right. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I think <laughs> you, what, what you just told me kind of reminds me of a funny, I think it's an actual like law group from California that deal with like cannabis, like possession and getting people like out you know, don't get to get them out of the trouble, illegal trouble for owning weed or whatever. And their policy is just shut the fuck up. It's just, it's just, if a cop asks you about anything, you shut the fuck up. That's it. And then you're, if you shut the fuck up, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. If you say anything, you're going to be fucked. And I kind of extends to a lot of things when, when interacting with law enforcement, especially at this capacity. Yeah. I've seen that video. It's, and yeah. I think it, it crosses over a lot in that video. They say <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. They don't know who you are. They don't know why you're there. They don't know if you yeah. own the place, if you work there, if you just walked in, if you're, you know, if you have anything in your pockets, you know, you if you've purchased anything. Um, so just shut up. Don't say anything. And the same goes for our kind of work. Like they don't know who you are. They don't know if you're together as part of the same group. They don't know, like if you know each other. They don't know if you have a leader. 
just shut up. Don't say anything. You know, speaking of which, the whole, okay, communication, I think this should be a given. I think obviously, I think not enough people do that, especially at this uh, kind of work. Like showing up armed, showing up to do some sort of security, whatever, absolutely needs that level of coordination. People, everyone who are the organizers especially need to be on the same page. I, I can tell you from, you know, my previous experience, I wasn't there. Oh, that's not true. No, I was there in person for one of these. But like I, I've heard I've heard of friends I used to organize with like disaster stories of motherfuckers showing up to protest. Uh, I think it, it was even like near a school or some shit. And they would just show up with like ARs. So no one asked them to do that. And all they did was just cause a panic, right? And it wasn't like it was a well thought out concept. They didn't bring like supporting kit ifax no it was just show up with an ar and it was just like what is that supposed to help how is it supposed to help anyone right and uh it happens a lot when it comes to like i guess well-meaning leftists who are armed but they don't want to like put in the uh the boring work of like actually wanting to talk to people and get on the same page and such yeah yeah and that that brings up a really good point um you know communications key but so is research down to who the other organizers are who their organization is, who the people who run the venue are, and then like what are the local restrictions? Because even though we're in Texas, like say you're marching too close to a university on certain one side of the road, you might can have your gun. On the other side, you can't. You know, um, there's a lot of different skills that have to be put into place by quite a few different people um, in order to success- successfully defend a protest, essentially. Uh, most definitely. And, and I know, like, it, from what I know, the most vulnerable part of a lot of these uh, doing actions is the ending of, like, trying to evacuate, leave. And they, are, every, I think most people are on the same page. They're like, don't leave by yourself. Like, be in, a, in pairs, at least, or whatever. Um, I guess, have any of you had any trouble with that aspect? Because in my opinion, that's always like the most vulnerable part is like the, that part of leaving. You have people who try to stalk you or, uh, or or whatever and figuring out, I guess, parking within inner cities and such. Yeah, I, I've had some bad experiences with it, but it's always, to me, the biggest risk when you're almost showing up a little bit more um, impromptu to an action. Like um, the day Roe v. Wade was overturned there was you know an impromptu protest in dallas that evening and you know it's not like you can really plan out your parking and all park together because it's already hundreds of people down there um you know i feel like that's where you're more vulnerable if we have enough time we can plan to make it as safe as possible are we still like looking behind our backs at every step yes (laughs) but you know having that ability to plan ahead of time really mitigates a lot of the risk. Always, yeah, planning can, I feel like, can only help in most of the cases, uh, for sure. Speaking of planning, what are sort of logistics that you believe are the most valuable in, in, when, when doing these, this kind of work? And are maybe they're oftentimes ignored. I don't know, is it like not everyone has radios, not everyone brings extra clothing or water or something like that? Um, yeah, again, I think there's a lot of things that are super vital. Like, obviously you need water. Uh, you're going to literally die if you don't bring water. Radios, comms, very important. You know, we've done actions without comms before, but it's terrible. You got to send like runners for everything. So comms are big. You got to send a Raven old school. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, smoke signals. Um, you know, planning, communicating ahead of time with organizers and everything. Uh, making sure you have enough people. You know, we're not going to show up to a place if it's like two or three people can make it because that is just uh, an unacceptable risk. You know, we a hundred percent. You need to realize like what is safe, especially if you're a group that is being targeted. Yeah. You got to have the numbers. Yeah. I hundred percent stand by that. I think I'll also, it, this, this can't be a game of egos. It really can't because this is a real world. And if you don't have the numbers or the proper planning, people can get hurt or, or get killed. And I remember, Back in my day, you know, in, in some orgs I was in, you know, I would get the like the chat or the you know the notification. It's almost like, hey, there's a fucking like group of like 15 proud boys going around like going around different bars, just harassing people and causing a bunch of fucking trouble and stirring shit up. And they were all like, can we like, you know, I don't like, I, I I don't personally feel safe. Like, can like can I get some people up here to help me out, or whatever? And people were just like, well, we're all like scattered and. Uh, you yourself should not be, you know, fucking starting anything with a group of 15 assholes. Like, what, where do you think this is going to end for you? Right? Like, don't, don't do that. And it ended up just like, you know, they eventually fucked off and the bar owner uh, permanently kicked those guys out forever, including an employee that was friends with them or something like that. So, I mean, uh, no one was seriously injured or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, these guys are assholes, but what do not try. This is not an action movie. You're not John Wick. You're not going to take on 15 people. Don't don't ever do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So firearms is a kind of a crucial component. I mean, it's in the name, right? John Brown Gun Club mm-hmm. for those out there. And I know like guns aren't necessarily like the centerpiece of organizing. Not, you know, really. But why do you believe it plays a crucial role in terms of what you do in terms of what the broader context of leftist organizing? So for, for me, I think it just represents a lot of uh, capability and there's also a visual impact to it. Like you said, we've been making a lot of headlines this year. We've been doing the same shit that we've been doing for, you know, two years now, a year and a half before any of those headlines came out. And I think the biggest difference was a bunch of visible rifles right? Because we've done sweep defense, we've done protest security, but it was, you know, 10, 12, 15 people with rifles that all of a sudden everyone wants to pay attention. You know, I think that there is a very real power there. There's a capability there. You know, we are not going to get run over by Proud Boys or, you know, hardly anybody else. And so when it comes to this uh, escalating environment of danger for marginalized people, you know, you need to start thinking about how uh, you can use your tools, including firearms, to defend your community. No, to that point, I mean, I think, well, literally every person we've ever brought on here would agree with that uh, bubble. The And that's a really good point to make. And I think, um, you know, the way I look at it is it's also, you said capability. It's for me, it's like that same, the same idea, capability. Um, who has what? Like, if the cops have fucking ars and full kit oh why shouldn't you have that if the proud boys overwhelmingly also have uh you know plate carriers uh semi-auto rifles 308s what have you nods depending on what budget they're running on you know gas masks whatever right and they're also what actively training for the sole purpose of killing people like you why wouldn't you also want that same thing 
Like that's those same tools and capabilities to defend yourself, right? It's a very simple calculus, you know, at the, at the end of the day. And, and people are like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, the people, some of friends ask me about like, oh, you, you know, you own guns, you do all this stuff with guns. And it's like, like, if we could get rid of all guns, would you do it? I'm like, sure. But what kind of question, what's the even point of you asking me that question? You know, it's never going to fucking happen. So what's the even point of me, you asking me that question? Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to emphasize um, there are more than two mass shootings every day in this country now. Um, and I think a lot of people, including, you know, Beto liberals woke up after Uvalde to the fact that cops are not going to protect you from mass shooters. Uh, they simply are not. They're not going to put themselves in danger. And more to our direct experience, they're usually not equipped like even if there are cops near a uh, you know near a protest shadowing the protest or adjacent to it whatever the case may be those cops only have sidearms right if there is a highland park illinois style sniper uh, mass shooter those cops are going to be useless absolutely useless they're going to uh, be the first to get shot yeah they're just, i mean or run away but they're not going to be doing anything with their handguns um yeah Whereas us with our full length rifles and our optics, that's going to be our responsibility. We are the only protection against that type of scenario. If there's an elevated, like a sniper mass shooter, the cop with his pistol is going to be worthless. Yeah. Um, multiple things to, to break down there and not the least of which is how thoroughly and well pathetically untrained that your average uniformed officer is even fucking SWAT officers let's be honest they don't they're not really um that competent at what they're supposed to be doing so to speak right they we, we throw all these tax you know thousands of dollars to their you know taxpayer money for their kid for their training and what does it result in it results in uvalde it results in be, uh, cowards wearing fancy equipment doing nothing and uh, it, 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 it's you said earlier about the imagery, the kind of symbolic or the the idea of what people people gain in their heads when they see someone carrying around an AR-15. A lot of cops are relying on that; they're relying on the presence of of them. But when something when shit actually happens, you know, they're not really up to the occasion half the time. And the other part is like, I think people need to, need to be reminded. Well, mainly like liberals need to be reminded that in this country we have legally settled that cops are not legally obligated to protect you you know i believe that was a supreme court case from new york that arose where it's a cop does not have the responsibility to go out of their way to protect you that's not the purpose that it was like now legally defined as such i mean there was the uh a mass stabber in the new york metro just fucking yeah. butchering people up and one dude broke to the occasion to stop him he got his mouth cheek cut open I believe, and I think he also had his scalp cut up and something like that, and only he alone stopped them. He almost bled out, and there were two officers in the next car over, tram over, and they did nothing, and they weren't because they they you know they also weren't legally obligated to either. So really, like when people say take away guns, but they don't mean doing anything about cops. This is what they're saying: they basically just remain a victim for the rest of your life, and when something bad happens to you, you're just going to die. That's what that's what they're all, all going to say to you. In, in regards to that, it's uh, it is crazy to, to, to think about that, and I think people can misconstrue what you guys do in terms of like working, walking out there with guns and full kit. It's like, oh, are they out there to intimidate people, or are they going to attack people? No, it's literally because it's for your own safety, really, right? 
Yeah, it's because this is where we're at now as a country. That's that's just you know the the blunt facts. Yep, you're you're a byproduct of your environment. If if they weren't such evil pieces of shit out there with a completely oppressive system that supports the elite, this would not be the reality we live in. You you hate guns so much, so maybe don't have such a shitty system in place. I would love to do that, but you know we're in a world where you know we don't have the privilege to just sit back and do nothing. Um, you know, we are a byproduct of what this system has created. Like at the end of the day, um, bubble. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Um, I I just wanted to um, also say that you know it's not only that police have demonstrated they're not interesting in risking themselves to protect you, um, but also we've been attacked by the police like dozens of times. You know, we are also a product of 2020 when we were getting tear gassed and beaten for absolutely no reason, you know, in the streets of Dallas and Fort Worth and all over the place. I, I, you know, exactly. And I want to, you know, if there happens to be someone that's, you know, a a liberal or whatever, or uh, some sort of bootlegger listening, is that like, why is it throughout every, every movement towards progressive human rights, like any revolution, any, any push just for civil rights in the history of this country, it's always the cops standing in opposition. Does that ever, you know, go into anyone's mind to wonder about that for a second? It's like, why, why is that the case? Why are cops always the ones enforcing the shittiest laws that ever made? I wonder why that is because maybe they're not on your side because they're not meant to be on your side. It's really fun to ask liberals that question at protests um, when they come up and they're like, so why the guns? And then we explain pretty much what you just said. And, you know, they're like, it's like you can see the question marks forming inside their head a little bit. And they're like putting dots together. And then they're like, right. oh, right. Oh, oh. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's also that the same like liberals who, you know, it became the trend to say defund the police, whatever. But then like so many people still fucking vote, you know, Biden and vote for fucking Democrats that are overwhelmingly still giving funding to police. Right. And no one really understands or questions a broader problem here, too. I remember being at protests and a random mix of people, you know, for fucking to the Hillary type supporters to straight up, you know, anti-fascist, right? A random mix of people. And um, I remember being at one and, you know, there's the chants that go, right? Some some are good chants. My favorite chant is when you see a, a cop on a horse and you, you say, get that animal off that horse. Um <laughs> The uh, well, the cringe ones were like they'd be like outside of a uh, immigration like fucking ice facility, right? And they'd be like protesting it right outside, and then the, the chant would be, "This is what patriotism looks like." And I'm just like, "Oh, I'm not chanting that. I'm not gonna fucking say that. It's the most cringe shit ever. I don't give a fuck about tra- patriotism." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's like on in line with like the pink pussy hats. Like, oh fuck, oh god. You really no. hear like, like you just want to make a fashion statement cute. Like I, I, I had, I had mentally blocked that image in my brain for years until now. <laughs> As a woman, it is a great shame on women everywhere that it was like such bad. Like it is like, I never participated in it, but like, I am like secondhand embarrassed for everyone who did. <laughs> oh man. Well, like, you know, trends are the the quickest way to make something heard you know 
Yeah, and it's also the quickest way to make it go away. That's true. And it's like, the quickest way to like dilute something, isn't it? Yeah, like as soon as something becomes trendy and fashionable to where it's like a you know, it's a cool piece to wear or something cool to own or something cool to say even. It mm-hmm. it loses its value, it loses its meaning. Um, you know, the first women who created those hats, they were pretty cool and radical. And then, you know, you could buy one at Urban Outfitters, I'm sure, later on down the line. Like the like the uh the Bernie Bernie Mittens meme. It was yes. genuinely pretty funny. And then the the person who sold I think who sold Bernie those mittens was like sold out in like one night. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, oh this, yeah. this trend is dead. <laughs> Unlike trends and, and awareness and stuff, I just want to say I think one of the biggest divides is that liberals think that awareness is the end game. Like you you, you build awareness and yeah. then you win somehow. And leftists recognize that that doesn't do anything. Americans have been aware of all kinds of stuff for decades. Like since I was a kid, right? Most Americans were like, yeah, this shit sucks. It's corrupt. I don't like any of it. The awareness has been there. It doesn't do anything. Leftists recognize you have to build power. You have to build people power. You have to have communities and networks and connections and be able to take care of each other. Exactly. Like, there is nothing hidden about how shitty modern day capitalism is or how any any business that you've ever bought a product from, how shitty they are in terms of how they run run the workplace environment. And the awareness bit is cool, like reposting articles or being like, ah, oh, shame on Jeff Bezos or whatever, right? But then the actual action is like winning your like union rights. Like that is like helpful. That is like meaningful to people. It is it changing their lives for the better, like Starbucks and Amazon. Like that's that shit that matters. And who are the people overwhelmingly doing it? They're leftists. They're people who are straight up saying, go fuck the Democrats because they know realize Democrats don't fucking help them. So 100% on that. Yeah. Yeah, awareness is great, but it's the first step. It's like, you know, if you're going to to do a barn raising and you eat a big hearty breakfast, that's a good preparation. That's a good first step. If you eat the breakfast and then you do nothing else, uh, you're going to fail. Right on. I, I think another crucially crucial misstep in a lot of leftist organizing is the concept and practice of OPSEC. And I think we can all speak to that in some levels, either personal mistakes or friends of ours or people we know within orgs or whatever. Um, What is an often ignored aspect of OPSEC, do you guys think? I feel like there's a lot, but um, a big one is past internet history. Um, So, you know, anything that is clickable is it can it can be found. Um, you know, if you've changed your username to something that's anonymous now, but it used to be something that was, you know, had, you know, actual identifying information in it before, people can find that out and they can link that to your identity. I think that's a big crucial one that a lot of people think, oh, well, I cleaned off everything off of Google, so I'm good. Or I changed all my screen names and passwords and I cleaned off everything on Google, so I'm good. But that information can still pretty easily be found um, by anyone who has a laptop, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's the internet. Nothing is secret anymore. If you, you know, 100% true. Exactly. Um, it, it's all, it's, it's more about like what you can do now to like mitigate. You're not really going to erase a large footprint 
that you've had like in your teens till now, right? No, no, it's, it's best to mitigate it. And, you know, I'm more talking about, you know, getting targeted by fascists more so than getting targeted by the feds, getting targeted by the feds. You're, you're screwed. They have it all already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I would agree with that. You know, I'm more, you know, people get doxxed by very simple things very often. Um, And that's just, you know, things that you just click and find. There's no hacking involved. There's none of that. It's just things that if you sit down with a couple of hours and a lot of patience, you can find out a lot of information on just about anyone. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, within the gun gun space, right, people have been some have been docked. Some have been like found out, so to speak, of like who they are at like gun at firearm uh, shooting matches or at ranges and shit. And that's particularly shitty because now it's like an immediate way of someone like, first of all, on some level, making you feel unsafe and somewhere you're supposed to just you know have fun at or trying to just use as a resource or you know worse having that resource cut off from you like being cut off kicked off from the range i know people have had that happen to them there it wasn't even like they were wearing anything like some some you know paranoid dipshit like gun range owner solve some mild imagery he didn't like and associate with with politics and kicks off kicked a friend of mine out as it's ridiculous he wasn't nothing about what he was doing was overtly uh political it was ridiculous even something as small as that like oh i don't like this patch in a fucking website of yours, which is like, what even is that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think another one, and this is probably speaking a lot more from personal, but also I think it applies to a, a, pretty much everyone. I know, honestly, that that does any, any level of training, whatever you want to call it. Um, like being careful of, of what you're choosing to upload. I mean, it kind of ties to what you just said. Like, I definitely believe in showing people, especially like when you, as you're trying to build a network through social media, but like, Oh, this group is doing the work or these guys are doing some cool stuff. Like I, that makes that inspires me or uh, that encourages me to reach out to them. So I can maybe learn whatever, but then also being careful of like, what is your environment? Is it easily recognizable? Um, is what you're wearing easily recognizable in, in, in some regard or whatever. Right. So I think, more nowadays I, from my experience people have been better at that you know blocking blacking out faces blocking out um visible markings and such uh definitely be blocking out serial numbers and guns and such but uh that's another thing like we have to we have to uh, draw a line between what is like cool content to show but also like what is more important here about your security yeah and i mean at the end of the day even when it comes to like your personal accounts you know you're not just protecting yourself you're protecting all your comrades too because if they find one person it makes it 10 times easier for them to find others yeah no i would i would agree with that yeah this is probably a lot of it can be spoken in vague terms because i realized that you want to keep things close to close to the chest here but without going giving too much away um what are sort of training ideas or concepts that you kind of encourage people to, or, or at least to consider for organizing security or protest work or things like that because having a group of friends and you guys are relatively on the same page is the first step, but also the next step is that training aspect. Cause the real, um, you know, um, 
uh, effectiveness in terms of organizing comes from when people are are they can like without even thinking they know how to communicate to someone else right it's all it's all been pre-rehearsed it's down to a t it comes naturally to them it's not because it when that doesn't happen a lot of times it's sort of the, the panic and freezing can happen when bad things would happen when things are breaking down so to speak i guess how do you go about training for that yeah so i think there's a lot of different training again that you need to do um one important one uh, is you know just have a plan and have uh, something like roles. I think a common mistake when people first start doing um, you know security type work at actions is they'll all swarm to the ball, right? Something starts to uh, get heated, and yeah, every single person swarms to that area. Well, you've just left all the other areas completely unwatched, unguarded. Um, so don't do that. And, you know, have have people designated to react, you know, make sure you have kind of a perimeter going on and you stay in your perimeter. You don't just wander off. Um, you know, if you need water, have someone bring you water. Don't just like leave where you're supposed to be. Um, when it comes to armed security, definitely you have to have your safety uh, on lock. You, you have to know your weapon safety rules. You have to know, you know, what you're doing as far as uh, like muzzle down and, uh, you know, not brandishing, not escalating. Um, you also have to drill like ready up, you know, ready up drills, right? You want to be confident uh, in your ability to react so that you're not just standing there for security theater, right? If, uh, if you need to be able to engage at long range, you need to practice long range. If you need to go from um, like slung and relaxed to presenting um, rapidly, you need to be drilling that and training that, uh, you know, every week, every day. That was the uh, um, other part. Yeah, I think you and I have spoke about this in the past too, about the discipline, right? And, and having an SOP in place because it is, uh, when you start organizing or doing any real work as a bigger group, you can't just, uh, in some regards, you have to ignore your baser instincts of a loud noise and conflicts happening over there or across the area, not the best idea for you to go all the way across and completely ignore your responsibility. Having breaking down to select roles uh, is uh, a crucial part of that. Cause what's the whole point of having an organization? If you don't have people with specific roles, they can do, they can divide up the work. That's kind of the point of being in the group, right? You make the effort easier. Yeah. I, I want to say there is a lot to learn from um, different militaries um, at the same time, you know, we are a non-military organization and other non-military organizations, um, you can think about it in sports terms, right? Like if you are a soccer player, um, and you know, and you're playing like left fullback, you can't just swarm across the field, you know, to the, to the right side by the opponent's goal. Um, that's going to mess up your whole team. You have to stay, you have to play your position. Yep, you can't also just be the goalkeeper too, right? That's ridiculous. The specific to drills and and such, and I think um, I feel like this could be a completely different uh, episode as well. But like focusing on the hard skills aspects on the on the individual basis, in my opinion, supports the grant the whole, like the group as a whole. You mentioned doing ready ups and um, uh, practicing your. Uh, techniques of carrying what uh, manipulation weapons manipulations shooting at distance shooting at close range and such 
because these are the possible threat scenarios that could happen and you should be drilling that. And in many ways, I feel like a lot of people who do this kind of work don't do that. And it's uh, because a lot of it, again, like you said, is like protest security theater. I, I'm reminded of a time during the 2020 um, protests when I forgot where this was, but there were a bunch of fascists with like ARs camped up on the roof of the parking garage looking down at a group of anti-fascists and such who were also armed and uh, had ARs and such. But you can tell just from a photo, like how ill-prepared they really were for this sort of thing. Like they're, they're, uh, they had no no long-range optics of any kind. I don't, I don't even think some even had any sighting systems on there. They weren't. They were all huddled like completely way too close together for this kind of scenario. If they know they're being, they they could possibly be shot out by fascists inside of a fixed position, and it's that sort of thing, right? It's 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 scary to think about in a lot of regards too. But you know, if you're gonna put in the effort to go out and do this sort of thing for people, it's at least worth putting in the time every day on your individual skill basis. And I think that goes oftentimes ignored because it's like, oh, I have other people with me. I don't have to do ready ops every day or whatever, right? But it's like, oh, it doesn't matter if you have 10 people that don't know how to do good responses or good weapons handling, right? You know, I I, I think a lot of people don't even realize that they can dry fire, right? We don't have the time to train together every day, right? We're, We're not on a salary. We don't have a facility. But just every day when you get home from work, there's all kinds of dry fire stuff you can do without shooting. How quickly can you aim? How quickly can you enhance your zoom on your LPVO? How, you know, looking at farther targets, you know, moving, taking cover, footwork, all those things. There, there's a lot of training that um, you can do at home and that you should do at home because increasing your capability, uh, you know, increases the capability of the, the community right? You're part of the community. So you're trying to help the community. You're trying to empower the community. Every time you acquire additional skills, that increases your contribution to the community. 100%. Yeah. So what has been the most meaningful change that uh, M4 John Brown Gun Club has been part of in your experience? So I'm really proud of a ton of the things we've done. I think we've made a lot of big impacts, but maybe the biggest impact, at least recently, has been because of our uh, stop the sweep defense. You know, there are big headlines about it. And prior to that action, the city had been doing two or three sweeps a month, just uh, a, a frenzy of destroying um, houseless camps. Um, you know, especially compared to previous times, they might do, you know, one every few months. Um, after we did that, sweep defense action they haven't they haven't swept anybody in uh how many months is that three months like now three. really yeah, wow yeah. um so that that's been really huge i'm really proud of that you know we've been able to give our unhoused neighbors some breathing room and i say we i mean everyone who participated in that there's a bunch of orgs a bunch of activists a bunch of people helping like there always is but yeah i'm really proud of that one Yeah. And kind of building off of what Bubbles said, you know, because of actions like that, that did get us, you know, put into some headlines. um, Other groups are 
getting inspired by that and are reaching out to us and asking us for tactics on sweep defense. Or even what's been really great is there are more and more John Brown gun clubs popping up, seems like every month in the all over the country. Um, you know, it was kind of a thing that was not as popular as the SRAs and other, you know, major leftist organizations go. And it's you're seeing a resurgence of this armed leftist movement. And I think that that's been one of my favorite things that's come out of it is that more people are arming themselves to defend their communities, um, not just here in DFW, but all over. And the more people that can do that, the safer we're all going to be. That yeah, that's great. I mean, I didn't realize uh, that what y'all did for stopping the sweep had that much of an impact. Like that's awesome. Like that's super. That's one of the, like the greatest successes I've heard in a long time. And of course, getting inspiring people to be more uh, armed and more trained and being able to prepare for themselves. I think um, everyone loves everyone loves a success story, and that's part of the reason why y'all are making headlines. Is they, this is living proof that what you do works and that it works because people uh, care enough to come together and do something about it, right? To come together in an organized effort, in a competent effort, I should emphasize that part, to push for change because the systems in place want to keep you down in the dirt forever. So that's that's fantastic. Um, uh, well, you know, with that, I want to thank you all for coming on. Uh, it's been a great time having you both on here at Satan Bubble. What is the best way for our viewers to, you know, keep up with what you're all doing for uh, Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club? Like social media handles you want to shout out? Um, that would be our Twitter. It's just going to be um, at EFJBGC. You can also just search Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club on Twitter. We're going to be the first option that pops up. We also have a couple of less popular options. We all know that, you know, our Twitter may be killed someday. So we have a no blogs. Uh, Satan, do you have the no blogs address? I'm a bad organizer. I do not have that on hand. <laughs> I think it's just elmfortjohnbrowngunclub.noblogs.com. Uh, the links will also be in the description, too, if you want to get that to me later, too. Yeah, we'll throw out those more obscure links. I don't even use them enough to. Yeah, we also have that the new, uh, the new Mastodon as well. Awesome, cool. And uh, this is usually John Chinaman's job, but I know I gotta say all of our say all of our handles here. There's so fucking many. Give me a second. Um, but obviously, you can find Yellow Peril Tactical on Instagram at yellow underscore peril underscore tactical. You can find us on Twitter at YPT actual at YPT actual. And we also have a Patreon. Uh, we'd love for y'all to subscribe, donate, uh, help us out. Uh, does us a lot of favors just because not because we're easy for profit, but it's just, you know, doing things like a podcast, doing things like um, fundraising efforts, cost things and we're just trying to cover a cost to be super helpful and any any funds raised from there from those initiatives will be used for future projects to help out with uh community outreach or mutual aid so uh yeah our patreon is patreon.com dash yellow underscore parallel underscore tactical as well so uh thanks for having you guys on and it's great oh that that reminds me we have a yeah. cash app <laughs> we have oh, a cash throw app. It, throw it on here uh cash tag <laughs> EFJBGC. All right, sick. Again, everything will be in the description. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Soju. Thank you so much. All Have right. A good one.
Thank you. 